0: All right, everybody, it is Friday, March 10th. We have made it through another week. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am Mo Wanunu,
1: And I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. There's a lot happening this weekend, Jill, but the one thing that will impact all of us, at least here in the U.S., is daylight savings time.
1: You know who doesn't know about daylight savings time? Kids. Children? Yeah. <laughs> Babies, toddlers, totally unaware. So uh, this kind of messes up parents' lives for about a week. It usually takes uh, at least a few days to to get things back to normal.
0: Yeah, a reminder, of course, in the fall, you fall back. Uh, This Saturday night, uh, you'll be springing ahead. So you'll be losing that hour of sleep going into Sunday morning. But the good news is, Jill, for many of us, this means an extra hour of daylight starting on Sunday.
1: Yep. And it means we're inching closer and closer to spring and summer. So I'll take it.
0: Jill, I should note, I posted on the Instagram account six tips from NPR on how to better prepare for daylight savings. So it might be a little too late, but they had all these tips like start bedtime 10 minutes earlier each day, the week in advance of daylight savings to start to prep kids for it. So maybe not for this year, but should we (laughs) never go to permanent daylight savings, there's some interesting tips there for everybody.
1: Moshe, I feel like as a society, we used to just switch the clocks in spring and in fall, with very little fanfare, I for some reason these days it's like it's like you've got to prep. It's it's become a much bigger deal, I think, and and it's hotly debated. This used to just be something we did, and we kind of just went along with our lives.
0: And what's so interesting about it, Jill, is you mentioned that is we also once lived in an era when, like, you had to remember it and set all the clocks, you know, back or ahead in your home. Now we live with smartphones that are always telling us the time. So it's actually such a non-thing now, I mean, in terms of, like, oh, my God, I forgot to set the clocks in my house. Like, you have your phone with you.
1: Right, like, as you were saying, you know, they put out this list of 10 things to do to prepare for it. It's like, unless you have really young kids, just live your life. It's not that big of a deal, no. (laughs) OK, Mosh, but let's get to the headlines, shall we? U.S. spy chiefs say the biggest threat to U.S. national security is the Chinese Communist Party. In a surprising turn of events, the cartel responsible for killing two U.S. citizens in an armed abduction last week in Mexico has apologized and handed over the people responsible. An update on Mitch McConnell's health after he took a fall this week that landed him in the hospital. What is in President Biden's $6.8 trillion budget proposal for 2024? Another Norfolk Southern train has derailed just as its CEO testified in front of Congress.
0: And they made sure he heard about it, (laughs) Joe.
1: An Oscars preview, what the Academy is doing this year after Will Smith's slap heard around the world and some potential history could be made in the best actress category. Which social media platform do people want to delete the most? The answer might surprise you. Mosh has on this day in history.
0: I'm really getting into Alexander Graham Bell history this <laughs> week, Jill. We have some really cool history for everyone today.
1: Plus, it's Friday. What we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. But let's start with our top story. A major hearing on Capitol Hill this week on global threats. Top U.S. intelligence leaders told lawmakers that the Chinese Communist Party remained the, quote, most consequential threat to U.S. national security. Testifying before the Senate Intelligence Committee as part of the annual hearing on worldwide threats Wednesday, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, said that Chinese leader Xi Jinping is working to solidify China's status as a leading regional power as well as a major global power. She said China is increasingly convinced that it can only do so at the expense of U.S. power and influence. Haynes appeared alongside leaders from the CIA, FBI, National Security Agency and Defense Intelligence Agency known as the DIA. The DIA director said that the Chinese are advancing very, very rapidly in everywhere we're fighting where a domain exists including space, the air, on the grounds, and on computer networks. And they also discussed Russia and the state of the war in Ukraine. Officials said Russian President Vladimir Putin appears prepared to dig in for a really long fight in Ukraine, betting that he can hold out in the face of Western resolve and military support. He calculates that time works in his favor and that prolonging the war, will wear down Western support, even if it takes years.
0: Jill, this hearing is always a a huge event on Capitol Hill, the threats hearing, all the most powerful top leaders of the various national security agencies and intel agencies. And keep in mind, what we heard them say is only what they said in open session. They also do a separate briefing behind closed doors for the Intelligence Committee, where you can imagine they get a lot more detailed. But we did hear a lot out in the open in this hearing Going back to what they said on Russia, they said that Putin actually does not have the troops and ammunition to take and hold more Ukrainian territory. Fighting right now continues along a nearly 900 mile long uh, stretch of the country. And at times, the two sides are like literally fighting over a few yards of ground. But as you noted, they believe that Putin will just keep doing this, even if it takes years, because he thinks at some point, Ukraine will just fall apart and the West will just get over continuing to support Ukraine. It comes as there was a new intelligence assessment released alongside this hearing that said the Russian military will continue to face issues of attrition, personnel shortages, morale challenges, problems at home. But at the same time, Putin does not appear to be letting up. I do want to get back to the top issue they discussed, though, China. TikTok, of course, was one of the things that came up. Marco Rubio, the sender from Florida, who's been very vocal about his concerns about TikTok, the need to ban it. He spent a lot of his time with the FBI director, Chris Wray, at the hearing, questioning him about what China can do with TikTok. Take a listen to a bit of it. Um, Could the Chinese government, through its ownership of ByteDance that owns ByteDance U.S., if they wanted to and and ByteDance U.S. were willing to cooperate or forced to cooperate, could could they use TikTok to control data on millions of users? Uh, Yes. Could they use it to control the software on millions of devices given the opportunity to do so? Yes. Could they use it to drive narratives, uh, like to divide Americans against each other? For example, let's say China wants to invade Taiwan to make sure that Americans are seeing videos arguing why Taiwan belongs to China and why the U.S. should not intervene? Yes, and I would make the point on that last one in particular that we're not sure that we would see many of the outward signs of it happening if it was happening. And I think the thing that the most fundamental piece that cuts across every one of those risks and threats that you mentioned that I think Americans need to understand is that something that's very sacred in our country, the difference between the private sector and the public sector, that's a line that is is non-existent in the way the CCP operates. This is a substantial national security threat for the country of a kind that we didn't face in the past. So some pretty stark words there, Jill. I know TikTok comes up a lot on this podcast in the news, given its reach within the U.S. population, the ability of the Chinese government to exert control here. And it appears based on this hearing that it continues to remain top of mind for the top U.S. intelligence officials.
1: Moshe, while this is a very, very legitimate debate and thing to be talking about. It does feel like this is the low-hanging fruit, and I hate that expression, but it feels like it really is kind of the low-hanging fruit in this in this discussion. But I guess when it comes to national security and, and so many of the issues that we're dealing with, it is relatively easy to ban it compared to, say, fix the supply chain or, or do other things.
0: Right. It's much more tangible than, like, Apple makes the majority of its iPhones in China. China's creating all these technologies and cyber hacking uh, abilities and and all these other things that are going on out there. And not just China, by the way, all the various threats out there. It sort of reminds me, Jill, there was a debate post 9-11 about a company called Dubai Ports World buying up a bunch of ports in the US. I don't know if you remember this. And like, it became top of mind. Like, how can this Emirati company own some of our ports post 9-11? And again, in the scheme of things, like was this minute thing, but became this like, huge cause du jour in Washington. And that's what, you know, legislators are often just looking at something tangible. Congress is like, we're going to deal with this. And so this seems real. It's on so many Americans' phones and being used by so many people. So, you know, it, it just feels hyper relevant, right?
1: But regardless, um, lawmakers, good luck explaining a TikTok ban to your young constituents. If you want to get out the vote and really get young people to the polls, I'm not sure politically this is the best move, but I do get the national security argument.
0: It is apparently one of the reasons why President, former President Trump walked back his call to ban TikTok because he was told by advisors at the height of the 2020 campaign, "Uh, Mr. President, this is a terrible idea if you want to be reelected. Okay, Jill, we have a lot to get to, including the speed read, but let's thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to start with Blinkist. I've been using the Blinkist app for more than a year now as a quick way to get summaries of books I either want to read or a refresher of books I haven't read in a while. Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink. Blinkist is essentially audio cliff notes. It summarizes the book for you, audio form in 15 minutes or less. I like to listen to them while I'm working out. Or on my commutes. They right now offer more than 5,500 books and podcast summaries. It's a wide range of topics, politics, leadership, investing. They provide curated collections, expert led guides, really allows you to grow a little bit more every day. Right now, what is so great is Blinkist is offering a special deal to the Mo News audience. Right now, you can go to Blinkist.com Mo News, that is Blinkist, B L I N K I S tcom Mo News to start a seven day free trial and get 40% off your Blinkist Premium Membership. Again, that's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink. Blinkist.com slash news to get 40% off and a seven-day free trial. All
1: right, now to Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement in the mornings, the Athletic Greens AG1 powder, just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick, and it lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash News to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or you could try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash news. That's M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal. And really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from NBC News. The Gulf cartel responsible for killing two U.S. citizens in an armed abduction last week in Mexico has apologized in a letter sent to media and Mexican officials. They said they turned over members who were involved. They said that the members responsible acted under their own decision-making and lack of discipline. A photograph of five men face down on the pavement and bound accompanied the letter. It comes after four Americans were shot and kidnapped after they drove into Matamoros, Mexico, just south of Brownsville, Texas, for a medical procedure last Friday. Two were killed and two are now recovering back in Texas.
0: So this letter, Jill, is signed by the Scorpions, which is apparently a faction of the Gulf cartel. Matamoros is under the grip of that cartel. It's a major crime group that smuggles drugs, migrants, engages in extortion, murder, illegal fuel sales. So bear in mind here that this apology is not really authentic, but apparently it is common for Mexican cartels in this part of the country to release messages of this type, especially in the aftermath of high-profile incidents. Again, not sincere, but officials suspect this apology was issued because of the amount of public attention and scrutiny into the actions of the cartel. I mean, they're clearly worried that the U.S. will force the Mexicans to crack down on these cartels. Keep in mind, these cartels have a lot of officials within the security establishment in Mexico and the government paid off. And so clearly the Gulf cartel is very concerned about what took place here and is trying their best to try to move on here. I should note in that apology letter, they also apologized to the residents of Matamoros because uh, there was the death of an innocent Mexican woman during that incident. And the letter stressed that the individuals responsible here for the kidnapping and murder had gone against the cartel's rules, which include respecting the life and well-being of the innocent. Again, we're talking about a drug cartel here. Fascinating.
1: This is totally not how I thought this was going to go down.
0: They clearly got the hint with with talk in Washington about sending in the U.S. military. That they're like, oh, we need to. Do what we can to prevent the U.S. military from taking us down.
1: From the Associated Press, an update on Mitch McConnell's condition. The Senate Republican leader suffered a concussion after a fall at a local hotel after a political dinner and remains hospitalized for a few days of observation and treatment, according to a spokesperson. The senator from Kentucky is 81 years old. He was first elected in 1984. And in January, he became the longest-serving Senate leader when the new Congress convened, breaking the previous record of 16 years.
0: So, Jill, this is not his first fall. Just about four years ago, he tripped and fell at his home in Kentucky, where he suffered a shoulder fracture. And he has opened up about his childhood experience fighting polio and acknowledged that he does have difficulty walking uh, and climbing upstairs related to that fight uh, during childhood. Jill, keep in mind here that typically with a concussion, you get sent home right away. So it is significant that they're going to keep him hospitalized for a few days here for observation, which is leading some to suspect that there might be a more serious issue. Jill, we've talked a lot about the age of our lawmakers in Washington. Uh, It's certainly going to be a factor in this year's presidential race, where Biden is eighty. Uh, and Trump is turning 77 in a couple months. The Senate's average age right now is 65, and several members are currently out due to illness. Dianne Feinstein, who's 89 and retiring in a couple years, last week was hospitalized uh, for the shingles. Uh, John Fetterman, of course, who suffered a stroke last year, is out right now receiving care for clinical depression. And those departures are not insignificant in a Senate that is so evenly split with just a very slim Democratic majority.
1: And on that note, from Axios, President Biden released a $6.8 trillion budget proposal for the fiscal year of 2024. His message to the wealthiest Americans is clear you have to begin to pay your fair share. But his plan has little chance of being enacted by Congress. As we were just mentioning, Republicans control the House and Democrats have a very, very slim majority in the Senate. It does amount, though, to the clearest distillation of his political priorities as he prepares to mount a reelection campaign by running against congressional Republicans. So what is in the budget? There's 885 billion dollars to help fund the war against Russia in Ukraine and bolster the Pentagon's procurement budget for domestic programs, a traditional top priority for Dems. He is asking for even more money, proposing about a trillion dollars for so-called non-defense discretionary spending.
0: Yeah, keep in mind when we talk about the 6.8 trillion dollar budget, that's near what the government spends annually here in the U.S. Uh, the vast majority of it is non-discretionary spending, right? Social Security, Medicare, uh, defense needs. So there's only a certain percentage of the budget that can actually be cut and can actually go to specific or changing things every year. When you talk about that domestic spending, Jill, there's a child tax credit that he's proposing, expansion of that, universal pre-K, expansion of down payment assistance, expanding Medicaid, Pell Grants, free community college, a whole bunch of stuff that has been on a Democratic list for a while. But again, with Republicans controlling the House, very unlikely that most of that, if any, will get through. And as we mentioned, Biden has sought to frame this budget as a serious effort to rein in deficits. He claims that this budget will reduce the overall deficit by $3 trillion over the next decade. And a lot of that has to do with new taxes, a new billionaire's tax, forcing them to pay 25% of all their income. He wants to quadruple the tax on corporate stock buybacks, raise the overall corporate tax rate. For Americans with unearned income over $400,000, the Medicare tax rate would jump by a percent. Uh, The concern there is that Medicare is going to run out of money in a few years with all these boomers retiring. So he's trying to bolster all of that. So you're going to hear a lot about taxes in the coming months uh, as Congress debates uh, priorities. And you have Democrats in the Senate, Republicans in the House uh, trying to come to some sort of compromise on some of these measures. One significant thing, Trump lowered taxes for the top earners from about 40 percent up to 37 percent. And Biden wants to bring that back up.
1: From ABC News, Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw faced a Senate grilling Thursday as Washington lawmakers held their first hearing on railroad safety about a month after a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. The chief executive telling the Senate that he is deeply sorry for the impact on East Palestine and he is personally committed to make things right.
0: Jill, you can't make this up. It came as another Norfolk Southern train derailed Thursday just hours before the hearing. This one in northeastern Alabama, their third in a month. The derailment is the latest in a series of incidents involving the company, which is the fourth largest railroad In America, controls a lot of the rail lines in the eastern half of the country and comes as the federal investigators continue to probe the company's safety culture. Fortunately, since East Palestine and the two other cases, including the case yesterday in Alabama, there was no hazardous material released from any of the train cars. But, Jill, yesterday the senators let him hear it. Alan Shaw took a pummeling for hours. I've posted several clips over on the Instagram account of a few of the exchanges. Take a listen to this one with Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey.
1: Last year, we invested over a billion dollars in safety. And last year, our accident rate, our our number of accidents was the lowest it had been in the last 10 years. Our safety stats, Senator, continue to improve. And I am committed to making Norfolk Southern safety culture the best in the industry. Well, you're not having a good month. You're not having a good month. And it seems like every week there's another accident that Norfolk Southern uh, is a part of in our country. So you may think that you've put in enough. okay? But the facts are saying just the opposite in terms of what is happening. And what I'm hearing from you is just this great confidence that you have in your system. But I'll tell you this, Mr. Shaw. Overconfidence breeds complacency and complacency
0: breeds disaster. So it was interesting to hear the split during the hearing, Jill, because Republicans, for the most part, wanted to blame this all on the Biden administration, whereas Democrats really went after Norfolk Southern and their responsibility here. Among the things Democrats were asking him for, they wanted him to commit to not lobby against safety regulations. He wouldn't commit. They wanted him to commit to give employees paid sick leave. He wouldn't do it. They wanted him to commit to not do stock buybacks to shareholders. Right now, Norfolk Southern is set to give $10 billion back to shareholders this year. Democrats would prefer he spend that on safety. He wouldn't commit to that either. They also wanted him to commit to compensating all of the East Palestine residents for their home, say if their home value diminished due to the spill. He wouldn't do that either. So he was very much trying to ride the line here, be apologetic, but not make any major commitments.
1: From USA Today an Oscars preview, the 95th Academy Awards is Sunday at the Dolby Theater in the heart of Hollywood. You can watch live on ABC at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. The ceremony will also stream live on a variety of platforms like Hulu and YouTube TV. So the 10 Best Picture nominees include Genuine Popcorn Epics. I've never really heard that phrase like Top Gun Maverick, as well as atypical gems like the tale of a broken friendship with the Banshees of Inna and a searing indictment of war with all quiet on the Western front. One thing to watch, Malaysian film star Michelle Yeoh, fresh off her screen, Actors Guild win is up for a Best Actress Oscar for her role in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. A victory in that lead actress category would be a first for an Asian actress Comedian Jimmy Kimmel returns as host. He also hosted in 2017 and 2018. One person who will not be there, Ukrainian President Zelensky. He has gotten airtime at a lot of the award shows uh, over the past year since Russia's invasion. But according to Variety, the Academy snubbed him. He did want to make an appearance to drum up support for Ukraine. And the Academy said, we will pass.
0: The Academy Awards always running about five hours, even without a Zielinski address there, Jill. (laughs) So I think they're trying to figure out a way, especially on the East Coast, to get you to bed before midnight. Another person who will not be there this year is Will Smith. Of course, he's been banned from the event for 10 years after he slapped Oscar presenter Chris Rock last year for making a joke about his wife. We talked about Chris Rock's comedy performance uh, earlier this week as last year's best actor winner for his role in King Richard. Smith would traditionally present the award for Best Actress this year. The Academy has yet to announce who will present the award in his place. And with all that in mind, the Academy has implemented a new crisis team to quickly navigate any potential real-time emergencies this year. They say, we've run many scenarios, so it is our hope that we will be prepared for anything that we may not anticipate right now. Jill, who could have predicted a slap last year? (laughs) I can't even imagine what scenarios they're running over there at the Academy right now.
1: I was I was actually just thinking the same thing to be a fly on the wall in that room.
0: <laughs> okay, so the Chinese put a balloon over the Academy Awards. What are we going to do? So...
1: Uh, so everyone starts throwing up. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what kind of scenarios they're thinking about. <laughs> However, the, <laughs> the producers have said Jimmy Kimmel <laughs> would also be ready for anything. And oh boy! He, and he was asked about that. And he was basically like, uh, not really. So, so he joked, he said he was studying the martial arts since they asked him to host the show. Um, but then he says, the truth of the matter is, I am not ready for anything. I'm ready for some things, but anything that involves violence or me having to run, I am very not ready.
0: All right, some calming words there from Jimmy Kimmel, uh, who's back to host the show this year. Some musical acts to watch as well on Sunday. Rihanna will be performing Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. There will also be several other performances from songs from the major nominated films. But Lady Gaga, who is nominated for the best original song in Top Gun Maverick called Hold My Hand, will not be performing at the ceremony. The executive producer of the Oscars says she's in the middle of shooting a movie right now and felt she couldn't get a performance to the caliber that she is used to. So she is not going to perform.
1: I would take a performance not at the caliber she's used to. Just give us something.
0: (laughs) Well, it sort of reminds me of uh, Adele's Vegas shows when she got there and like felt it wasn't up to snuff. And so she postponed her whole run there because again, she felt she wasn't ready you know these performers hold themselves to a very high standard but i agree i'll take gaga at a five out of ten
1: i'm totally gonna use that excuse with you one day Mo. i'm just gonna tell you like i don't think that um the script is really up to par today so i'm gonna pass on the podcast i, I think we should skip it
0: i just the people have very high expectations <laughs> and they expect perfection on this podcast
1: from mashable why does everyone want to delete their instagram account
0: mashable going with a very provocative headline there jill
1: Especially when your business <clears throat> relies on Instagram. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, everyone is an overstatement, but I'll let you get on with the story.
1: <laughs> okay, so the cybersecurity website VPN Overview analyzed the search trends for the top 30 most popular apps to see which ones Americans were most interested in deleting. And they found more than 900,000 searches for how to delete or deactivate Instagram, more than any of the other apps that the group analyzed. Behind Instagram, there were about 400,000 searches for deleting or deactivating Facebook. Next up was Snapchat, then Twitter, then Telegram. Only about 14,000 people searched for how to delete TikTok Um, which is pretty interesting given the fact that the government may ban it soon.
0: That might have just been government employees after the last couple of weeks or Marco Rubio searching it 14,000 times. (laughs) So Jill, that was an interesting headline that popped or interesting numbers there. But just because some people want to delete Instagram doesn't mean there are any actual fewer people on the app. It still managed to rank as one of the most popular apps of 2022 with an average of about 12 million downloads every month. And that could actually be one of the reasons the most amount of people are interested in deleting the app is because so many people already have the app downloaded on their phone. Keep in mind, especially when it comes to Facebook, too, that you're talking about literally one out of four people on Earth have a Facebook account. So call me skeptical of these delete numbers, especially given the number of people who have the app. But beyond these numbers, there are concerns within Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, about engagement declining both on the Facebook app And Instagram. There was a report leaked last year to the Wall Street Journal about Instagram that engagement is declining, and just about 10% of the most popular creators in 2023 use Instagram as their main platform. All right, let's head now to On This Day in History. I want to start in 1876, Jill, with the first phone call made by Alexander Graham Bell. I know we've been talking about him this week. You've got a real bee
1: in your bonnet for uh, (laughs) Alexander Graham Bell.
0: (laughs) Well, he made a lot of history when it comes to the phone this week. So a couple days ago was the anniversary of him first patenting the phone. Well, then he made his first telephone call on this day in 1876. And he called his assistant, Thomas Watson, who was in a room next door with the famous words, the first words ever said on the phone, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. Alexander Graham Bell was only 29 at the time he invented the phone and got it to work. He wrote his father in a letter at the time saying that it was a great success. And he speculated that one day there is a day coming when telegraph wires will be laid onto houses just like water and gas and friends will converse with each other without having to leave their homes. But he did have this unceasing scientific curiosity, Jill, and he invented a whole bunch of stuff besides the phone. He made improvements to Thomas Edison's phonograph. He developed his own flying machine just a few years before the Wright brothers would launch their plane at Kitty Hawk. And this is something I learned this week. He invented the metal detector, Jill. So President Garfield gets shot in July of 1881, and he is lying there, and they're having trouble finding the bullet inside him. So he gets a call with an ask: can you invent a device that'll find the metal inside his body? And so keep in mind that Garfield is shot July 2nd, 1881. He doesn't die until September 19th. So he's lying there trying to recover for two months. During that time, Bell invents the first metal detector. So he brings it over to the president as they're trying to find the bullet inside him. Now he was given the wrong guidance from the doctor. The doctor told him where to look for the bullet. He couldn't find the bullet there. They would find later in the autopsy that Bell's metal detector was looking in the wrong place for the bullet. Uh, Bell also noted that the bed under uh, James Garfield had metal springs, so that was making the process difficult. But he swore by his metal detector. So a really fascinating bit of history there, at least one that fascinated me, Jill.
1: <laughs> Speak for yourself, Moshe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It is very, very interesting Um Look, you know what they say, invention is born of necessity, um, and clearly they they needed something like that metal detector.
0: It just fascinated me because we don't talk a lot about James Garfield, uh, the president, but the fact that he lay there suffering for two months and they couldn't find the bullet, you know, certain things we take for granted today that just the technology didn't exist back then. All right, fast forward here to the 20th century, turning 66 years old this week. The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss was first published this weekend in 1957. A couple celebrity birthdays this weekend. Chuck Norris is 83. Sharon Stone is 65, and Carrie Underwood is 40. And of course, we'll end with some music history, Jill. Turning 29 years old this weekend, Jill, Ace of Bases, I Saw the Sign.
1: Ace of Bases is another group that their music, at least for me, just puts me in a good mood.
0: Jill, I think that was their goal. Literally, the name of their first album was Happy Nation. <laughs> and, <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> and then this album was the 93 album, The Sign, which had a number of their greatest hits. And you couldn't go anywhere in the mid-90s without a hearing I saw the sign. And then one more piece of music news. The OG Rick Roll turns 35 this weekend. This weekend in 1988, Rick Astley reached number one on the Billboard charts with Never Gonna Give You Up, but I'm going to save everyone from getting that song stuck in their head, so I will not play it on this podcast.
1: Mosh, I was just gonna sing it, but now I feel bad. <laughs> I'm gonna get this in people's heads.
0: So we'll, feel- we will move on. We will move on from the Rick Roll.
1: It is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. That means it's time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, kick it off.
0: Jill, it's a huge weekend for college basketball. All the various conference tournaments are happening. Then you'll have Selection Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern on CBS, where you will uh, see them make their selections for the March Madness brackets. Then you'll have a few days to fill out your brackets if you're one of those. Ahead of Thursday, which then leads to the two most unproductive days in the year, really, for a lot of companies as people are watching those games uh, happening on all the networks on Thursday and Friday.
1: Moshe, I'm in a little bit of denial that March Madness is even happening this year because Michigan, my alma mater, I love Michigan basketball and it looks like it's very unlikely that Michigan's actually going to make it into the tournament this year.
0: Yeah, only 17 and 15, Jill, and they they lost to Rutgers in the, uh, in the Big Ten tournament.
1: Thank you for um, reminding me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jill, what are you watching? I know we're missing a big thing here.
1: So the Oscars is on. Have we mentioned it? Uh, yes. Right. Just kidding. Um <laughs> I'm actually going to be watching the Oscars. I know that the ratings are down so dramatically. Maybe I'm just old. Yeah. I like it. I like the red carpet. I like the speeches. As long as I can stay up, I- I'm going to be watching. Also want to quickly mention um, I'm not going to be watching this, but Scream 6 comes out this weekend.
0: Jill, it's interesting on the Oscar ratings because it used to kind of live in the 30 to 40 million people watching. And then you saw this collapse in the last few years uh, into the 20 million range. And then in 2021, down 10 million people watched the Oscars. Last year, it was back up to 16 million people. But it's hard to see beyond the kind of top guns of the world. uh, Most of the films nominated, how they attract, you know, the the followings and the ratings of yesteryear. All right, Jill, what are you reading this weekend?
1: Okay, I am reading... Many Lives, Many Masters, the true story of a prominent psychiatrist, his young patient, and the past life therapy that changed both of their lives. It's written by Brian Weiss. It came out in 1988. So this book has been around quite a while. It's a New York Times bestseller. um, But a friend of mine is is working to become a medium. And whether you believe in this stuff or not, what she has been telling me has just been incredible. She recommends this book, and I really want to learn more. Uh, So I just took it out from the library.
0: Jill, let me know when your friend becomes a full medium. I definitely want to talk to them.
1: Will do. And what are you reading?
0: So I've had a book on my shelf for a while after watching a, a short PBS documentary about the making of the atom bomb, the Manhattan Project. The whole story is fascinating. And I heard great things about this book, The General and the Genius. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's the amazing story of Leslie Groves, the General, Bob Oppenheimer, the scientist, and the Manhattan Project. And just how remarkably quickly they were able to develop it uh, during that time, uh, during World War II.
1: And my favorite topic, what are we eating?
0: So, Jill, credit to my wife, Alex, for finding this amazing, like, specialty Italian deli in Manhattan. So, usually, you know, we talk about generic things. If you're in New York City or plan to be in New York City anytime soon, this shop was amazing. Had a sandwich on Thursday here called Al Antico Vineo. It's on 8th Avenue and 46th, so sort of Hell's Kitchen, Times Square-ish if you're near Penn Station or near the Port Authority. So if you're commuting in or out of Manhattan, you're on the west side there. Al Antico, Veneo, really phenomenal sandwiches, but I warn you that the line is around the block sometimes. So get there early. And apparently there's a second location down on Sullivan Street.
1: A line out the door, your new favorite spot, and you're deciding to tell everybody about it on the podcast? (laughs) <laughs> mistake
0: <laughs> it opens at 11 30 a.m so definitely get there before 11 30 it's one of those places there's a few of these places folks if you ever travel in new york where literally there's a line out the door uh like an hour before the place opens and i guess this place is getting a lot of buzz
1: the only other place that i could think of that always has lines out the door before it even opens is zara the clothing store at least on long island uh anecdotally um at the roosevelt field mall and at the Walt Whitman Mall, I've been to both um, early because it's so crowded there and the lines are always so long. And I'm amazed to see that there are women lined up to get into this place uh, before it actually opens.
0: We're going hyper local today, Jill, on the uh, what we're eating segment. If you're on the west side of Manhattan or on Long Island, we have some insight for you today.
1: I am eating nothing from Zara. I am uh, eating a Greek salad, grilled shrimp and a hot pita. Mmm my dinner.
0: Jill, is that on the menu for your Oscar party on Sunday?
1: It's actually waiting for me as we wrap up this podcast.
0: All right, let's wrap it up then.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we got to go. We do want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow.
0: Don't forget to follow us on the Instagram despite some of you, many of you Googling (laughs) the term delete my Instagram according to our last story today. Um, (laughs) At the same time, that is where you'll find the latest and greatest and everything in between that we tell you on the podcast over at the Mo News Instagram account at Mosh at M O S. H E H. We will see everyone back here on Monday, Jill.
1: Okay, bye everybody. Have a wonderful weekend.
0: You're listening to the Bone News (laughs) podcast.